It starts with the desire to live beyond the walls of mediocrity, outside the confines of normal. People who laugh at the ridiculous notion of comfort. It's a community of performers. People with a fire to build their own roads and control their own destiny. Welcome to The Chad Shipley Show. Hey everyone, Chad here, and welcome to another edition of The Chad Shipley Show, where I bring you interesting, insightful, and entertaining content or people. My guest today is a truly remarkable person. His knowledge and expertise on health, nutrition, and fitness blew me away. This world, this world of nutrition has always been difficult for me to fully understand. And I feel like this interview was a cheap way for me and for all of you to get an extremely valuable consultation with a person who not only has a vast degree of knowledge, but can simplify very complex subjects and articulate them so well that you literally become captivated by everything that he is saying. I said, holy shit to myself several times during this interview because he's just that good. So who is this magical, magical, who is this magical, magical, mythical person? His name is Andrew Wade. And beyond being a registered dietitian with a vast amount of knowledge, he is a rising entrepreneur who is seemingly building an empire. He started his first practice while he was still in school. Fast forward, he has four locations, one of which is coupled with a gym, which is led by a CSCS personal trainer. He has a mobile application called Rate My Day. You can download it right now and start using it. We get into that in the episode. In addition to the mobile app, Andrew partnered to create an online resource called OptiLife Academy, which gives people an easy and very affordable option to educate on both the nutritional and exercise fronts. And when I say affordable, I mean it. You can buy the nutrition module for $59, the exercise module for $59, or both for $100, and have unlimited and lifetime access to all of their modules and content, which have a lot of videos. It's not like you're just reading the whole time. If you've ever paid for any type of training program, you know how insanely cheap this is. And you are dealing with the best. This content is coming from people who have top-level certifications, which we get into in the episode. This isn't someone who went online and paid $800 for a training certification. No offense if, if you did that. But these guys are the real deal. These courses are and will continue to be used as a part of corporate wellness initiatives. So companies can buy these modules for their employees. And I know that I have entrepreneurs who listen to this show. This could be a great and very affordable option to give to your employees as a part of your wellness program because we all like being pampered. Go to www.optilifeacademy.com to check out and buy the online resources. If you note that you came from the Chad Shipley Show, that helps me as a part of our referral program, so I would appreciate you doing that. In addition to all that, he wrote a book called The Marathon Ready Runner's Nutrition Guide, which is designed to serve as an effective and concise tool to maximize your understanding and execution of proper nutrition during half marathon and marathon, which I just read from his book description, in case you were wondering how I came up with all of that on my own that fast. We actually talk about the book and how Andrew helped me during my first marathon, which was about a month ago at the beginning of the show. So more to come on that very soon. You can find the book on Amazon. If you are a half or full marathon runner or ever plan to run a half or full marathon, do not make the same mistake I did and ignore nutrition. Nutrition is huge. And in all reality, it's huge no matter what level of fitness you are doing. If you are not nutrition properly, you are working against yourself. And beyond fitness, your diet and the way that you eat really does affect everything, which is why this particular show is so important to me and why it is applicable to any and everyone listening. 
quoting Andrew here from this episode, you could argue that your diet is one of your most imperative time commitments. It's one of the few things in self-care that has a direct effect on all things, our energy, our mood, our sleep quality, our ability to exercise, our longevity, our inflammation, you name it, your diet reflects in some manner, all aspects of your self-care, end quote. On top of all that, Andrew has built an amazing brand and has developed all of the content and a licensing model that he can utilize to begin expanding into other states. All of this, everything I just said, four physical locations, a gym, a mobile app, online training for both nutritional and physical fitness, a licensing model, a book, an insane amount of free content via his blogs, and the guy is only 28 years old. He is on fire, and I can only imagine what is to come on his journey to, as he would say, hashtag spread the health. He has a very strong passion and desire to help as many people as he possibly can. That's the footprint he is looking to leave behind. And the guy really does walk the walk. After our interview, I was so inspired to eat healthier just because of how much he is able to accomplish in a single day. Like I'm looking at him thinking, how does this guy do what he does? He has something figured out. And I'm not typically viewed as a slacker, but compared to Andrew, I feel like I can really do much, much more. And I really hope you leave inspired to 1, 5, 10x your health game and in return, increase performance in all areas of your life. Okay, just in case I miss specifics, I'm going to read very quickly Andrew's bio from OptiLife Academy. Andrew Wade is a registered dietitian and owner of AM Wade Nutrition Group LLC in Pittsburgh, PA. AM Wade Nutrition Group, or Case Specific Nutrition, is a dietitian group practice with contract servicing fitness centers, corporate wellness initiatives, health and rehabilitation sites, and family medical offices. Andrew received his bachelor's degree in clinical dietetics and nutrition from the University of Pittsburgh in 2012 and completed his dietetic internship at Adagio, I apologize if I did not pronounce that correctly, at Adagio Health in 2013. Andrew completed his master's in wellness and human performance at the University of Pittsburgh in the fall of 2015 and is currently credentialed as a certified specialist in sports dietetics, CSSD. In addition to his practice, Andrew is the author of an ebook, Marathon Ready Runner's Nutrition Guide, a quick reference tool, sits on the board of the Pennsylvania Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics as the diversity chair task force leader and writes and blogs for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and his blog, pittsburgh-dietitian.com. You can learn more about Andrew on his website, casespecificnutrition.com. And if you're trying to start eating healthier or trying to lose weight or trying to get into fitness or are in fitness and trying to get an edge, I would definitely reach out to Andrew, especially if you're a person that's really trying to lose weight and you haven't been able to figure it out. The plan that you're following is not working. Do not go at this alone. You could have some hormonal imbalances at play. You need an expert in your corner. It would be like you running a business and trying to do your own taxes when you've never taken a course in accounting. You need to have an expert that can design a plan specifically for you based on the things that are happening within your body. That's what Andrew does. His company is called Case Specific Nutrition. Okay, I do want to mention that this is a two-part episode and you're about to listen to part one, which covers various topics but really zooms in on several things. The ketogenic diet, what is it and when is it good to use? Carb loading, how to do it properly. Hydration and how much water we really need to be drinking and how we should be drinking it, along with how important hydration is to everything. His projection reflection model for personal dieting, 
how to meal prep in a way to set you up for success. And he actually rattles off like five meals that sound absolutely incredible. I thought he was a master chef by the time we were done talking. All of that in this episode, plus much, much more. Part two starts to look at the business side and how Andrew has been able to really expand his business very quickly and where he could be going next. That's it. If you're new to the Chad Shipley Show, I'd recommend checking out The Magic of Thinking Big or Negative People Are Anchors from Hell. Those could be good episodes to use as a launching off point into my podcast. I also interviewed the amazing Lindsay Hoffman Brooks as well as EJ Hall who talked about his life as a heroin addict and his road to recovery. That is one of the most popular episodes out there. It is very powerful. It's very raw. It's very real. Maybe check that out. Future guests that are in the pipeline include one of the best musicians I've ever heard, multiple elite athletes who are in some serious training to the point where they're driving me crazy because I can't even get them to go to dinner with me, a fitness and performance coach that works with professional hockey players, and an entrepreneur who has really blown me away over the last 10 years. So please stay tuned. If you are a person who constantly seeks improvement in all areas of life that means something to you, your health and well-being, your relationships, your career, your financial freedom, your recreation, etc., then you will more than likely enjoy the Chad Shipley Show. And I would recommend checking out the Leaders on the Rise Facebook group where you will get daily access to interesting, insightful, and motivating content, as well as stay in the loop on all events. We have a conference coming up in Pittsburgh that I think is going to be pretty awesome. So if you go to Leaders on the Rise, You'll get all of the information there as it comes out. You can also check me out at chadshipley.com. Lastly, I wanted to thank Andrew for all of his time. Like I said, this is basically an extended and free consultation. And not only was it free, he probably canceled a paying customer so that he could fit me in. So I deeply, deeply thank him. Okay, I hope that you enjoy part one of this fascinating conversation with the amazing Andrew Wade. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you. So I, uh, I wanted to start by talking about how smart you are. <laughs> you're too kind. <laughs> in, our, in our limited time together, I've come to the conclusion that you're extremely intelligent. And I think in order to support that statement, we can talk a little bit about some of your credentials, background, college degrees, etc. So I see here MS, RDN, LDN. CSSD. Can you give me a little bit of background on what some of that is? <laughs> it's all for the ego. That's that's really what that is. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so it's MS is Masters of Science. Uh, I have a Masters of Wellness and Human Performance uh, from University of Pittsburgh. The RDN is Registered Dietitian Nutritionist. Uh, that means I have a four-year undergraduate in dietetics a 1,800-hour uh, residency or dietetic internship, and then a master's degree. Uh, and then the LDN is a licensed dietitian nutritionist. It just means the state of Pennsylvania is okay with me calling myself a clinical practitioner. And then CSSD is my certified specialist in sports dietetics. Uh, so that is an extra 2,000 hours of basically supervised practice in the sports realm, uh, in world of athletes, chronic disease management with eating and activity, and then uh, eating disorder counseling and food behavior. So total post high school educational, is it six years and then? Seven for me, okay. they consolidate sometimes six. A lot of people do, a lot of dietitians do a coordinated undergraduate, uh, a coordinated master's program, which is a four year undergrad and then a two year master's combo with the internship or residency. Right. I actually did a separate residency 
on my own, became a dietitian, and then did my master's in the evenings while I started working. So I, I did an extra year, but it allowed me to pay for it and then also practice and sort of uh, specialize my master's to the clientele that I wanted to really work towards. All right, thank you. And you were a runner as well. I was, yes. I was. I graduated high school at 5'11", 135, and uh, was pretty fast. Yeah, just to get <laughs> some, some scholarship on that. offers. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to talk about that for a minute. So a lot of my listeners know that I've been really trying to get into running. So yeah. just from a comparison perspective, when you were running competitively, where were you at from like a 5K perspective? Uh, I was in like the mid-16s. <laughs> <laughs> so five something per minute per mile. Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah, like, so. like 530 to 540 pace. So just to give a comparison, I've been trying to break. I think I broke 24 minutes one time. Nice. But we're on like a seven to eight minute difference between three miles, <laughs> which is pretty crazy. So you're literally over two plus minutes per mile faster than what I'm running now. Well, skinny high school runner me. Now I can run sub 20 still, but I'm more of like 19, 30, 19 minutes. That's kind of where I run now. I was going to ask you this later in the conversation, but since it, we're talking about running and athletics, how old are you, if you don't mind me uh, asking? I am 28. Okay, yeah. And I think for all of you that are listening, you're going to see very quickly how impressive that age really is. And maybe this will kick it off. You wrote a book, Marathon Ready Runners, Marathon Guide, yep. right? What made you want to write that book? Um, running is really what started my interest in nutrition, to be honest. When I first uh, started to really study nutrition and read about it, it's when I was in high school and I was a competitive runner. I was the captain of both the track and cross country team. And I started to become really interested and somewhat obsessed with how fueling the body helped my performance. I decided I was going to study nutrition in college and I kind of became that nutrition guru guy at a young age. Um, so running is really sort of where that origin is for me. And uh, so when I initially started the practice, I was doing a lot of nutrition with runners, a lot of marathon training, and I started writing blog posts. And I actually even worked with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette in 2015 and did a marathon ready program with them where I wrote a blog article every week for 12 weeks and uh, worked with one of their writers to do some recipes with modifications and all that stuff. Um, and after sharing all that content and kind of trying to figure out ways that I could, you know, deliver it to people, I decided, you know what, I wanted to consolidate a bunch of it, add things to it, uh, and sort of create this resource that I could make available for everybody. Yeah, and I think it's extremely helpful, especially for, I'm, I'm sure even like the, the more elite runners will benefit from it, but especially people like me that are trying to figure out how to even run a marathon, yeah, right? exactly. So I think the first time you and I talked, I was kind of telling you that I, I had just started really trying to get up into the upper teens of mileage, right? Mm -hmm. And every time I hit 15 miles, I was collapsing. <laughs> and then you came back to me right before the marathon and you said, hey, do this. And you gave me a very quick and easy nutritional plan. I think it was the night before, eat this. Mm -hmm. The morning of, eat this. And then during the race at these miles, eat this, right? And it was a very quick reference guide. What, what is the, what's the thought behind that? I, I know we talked a little bit about the carb loading versus the keto. You could ask me which one I was doing. I didn't know much about keto and we can talk about that, but I told you that it, I guess I was doing carb loading cause I was eating a lot of carbs, yeah. the wrong carbs probably. But then you designed very quickly a meal plan and you sent me an excerpt from your book. I was able to read that. And honestly, like, I don't know 
I don't know if I get through the marathon without that because all of the prep runs up into that, when I was, when I got to 20 miles, I was dead, like yeah. completely dead. Exactly. Right. And, um, that, that just having that quick guide before running and then going into it, but it, it opens up a wider conversation around every time I go and do a three or four or five mile run or anytime someone's going into the gym, if you're not nutrition properly, you're really cutting yourself short hugely, right? So just to kind of take it back, some of what you told me going into the marathon, like what was the, the strategy behind that and the carb loading versus the keto? Yeah, absolutely. And it's worth noting that, you know, that is sort of the purpose of that book, right? That little excerpt I gave you where I give a lot of, you know, each chapter is pretty short, but it's basically here's the science behind why you need to do this. And here's a really easy way to apply it quick and easy. So like you said, the beginners aren't going to get blogged, you know, bogged down with information, but the expert runners are still going to get the science they need to sort of apply it. And so what I did with you was a pretty, it was a pretty simple concept to explain, but something that I agree a lot of people don't have a good comprehension of. And it's sort of step one, and we can talk more about the keto here in a bit, but the step one is you were already eating carbohydrates, right? Which meant carbs were a part of your body or part of the fuel in your body. And the reality is your body does prefer carbohydrates as its primary fuel source. Your brain uses at least 100 grams of carbs a day, but sugar is your brain's preferred fuel. And so when you are eating carbs, that means your brain wants them and your muscles also use them. And what happens is, and this is the big distinction, the average person has enough fat stores to run 700 miles uninterrupted. The average person only has enough carb stores to make it about 15 miles. And so if you choose to use those short-term energy stores, those carb stores, you can't make it a full marathon without those running out. Right. And the reality is when they run out, people just think, oh, I go into fat burning mode. No, your body has to make <laughs> ketones and that takes about 48 hours. And so what happens is you hit the wall is what they call it in running, where you literally just face pavement, done, tapped out. And so basically what the game is, is if your choice is to eat carbohydrates as your chosen fuel, um, you want to load up your carbohydrate stores in the liver and in the muscles to max capacity. So I told you, hey, have two cups of uh, grain or starch the evening before with your dinner. So like two, two to three cups of pasta and then two hours later have a simpler carb like a big bowl of cereal. The point of those carbs are to load up your glycogen stores, which is your carb stores in your muscle and liver, so that they're at max capacity, right? Or they're very full, so there's a lot there. There's a full tank, so to speak. And then from there, you wake up the next morning because while you're sleeping, your body uses some of that glycogen to keep your blood sugar stable. You eat a bagel with some peanut butter and a banana, as an example. So another higher carb meal gets those glycogen stores topped off, and then you go start your run. And as you're running, every time your body runs out of fuel, from food that you've eaten, it starts to pull from those glycogen stores. And your game as a runner that's using carbs is to get to the finish line with glycogen still in your muscles. Because if there is none, you will not get to the finish line. And so right. you start fueling during the race as a way to basically keep glycogen present. And um, so that's where I told you, hey, you need to eat about 30 grams of carbs and you need to do it starting at mile eight, which is about halfway. So your glycogen stores get to their halfway point and then you start fueling carbs. So 30 grams at eight, 11, 14, 17, 20, and then 23. And those six feedings keep that half glycogen store alive. The yeah. reason that's so useful is when you are sprinting, so when you're running as fast as you can, and again, sprint could be 100 meter dash speed, or it could be end of a 26 mile race as 
hard as you can go, right? Heart rate at max, which it's not fast, but it's there, right? There's a, there's a push. Even yeah. if people can't see it, you can feel it, right? When yeah. you are at that max heart rate, you're burning 100% carb. And the most efficient way to get carbohydrate is glycogen. And it's actually the most efficient fuel for our muscles. So you're previously preserving that glycogen in your muscle from the night before, that pasta from the night before, so that when you go to push yourself in that last mile, you don't run out of energy. Right, right. So what are the gummy bears for? Because <laughs> there was people handing out gummy bears at like mile 20 and 21 or whatever. And I, I literally wanted to go kiss the woman because after I had the gummy bear, it was like the best thing I ever had. <laughs> at that point, I was actually out of food. I didn't, I actually did not take your plan to the, like, to the, I'm happy, very I'm specific, happy to hear I was so used Very specific details. <laughs> you definitely were going into the race. And then during the race, I really concentrate a lot on hydration. So like, Which, yeah. we'll talk about that in a minute. But I, I was making sure that I did have, so I had like two or three protein bars that I used to fuel up into. And then I literally was just getting sick. Like my whole body felt like it was just shutting down. I was yeah. actually... I don't know if I should say this publicly, but I, I was actually peeing blood by mile like 19. Oh my. So I went to the bathroom once during yeah. the entire race. And in that experience, <laughs> I'll call it, I was literally peeing blood. So I have no idea. I don't know if you have an answer for that, but <laughs> there, there's some, definitely some speculation there. But one thing I'll note is that, so you were grabbing protein bars and yeah. once again, your body in this whole fueling, it is exclusively carbs we're trying to give you, right? Yeah. So the gummy bears are pure sugar, which is carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing as like, you know, the, the energy beans or the sport beans or the goose, um, you know, all of those, you know, Gatorade is a sports beverage. All of those things contain a ton of sugar, which yeah. is just meant to be pure sugar that goes into the bloodstream and then gets directed to the muscle immediately for use so that glycogen stores can stay put. If you're eating a protein bar, that's not something that gets broken down and sent to the muscles, especially while you're running, right? <laughs> High heart rate, cortisol levels up, adrenaline pumping, that protein bar is sitting in your stomach. Yeah. Um, the peeing blood does sound a lot like it could be, it could have been dehydration related. Okay, yeah. um, and so that's where, again, you and I won't uh, shoot you a quick email the day before a marathon in yeah. the future. We'll actually work together to make yeah. sure your hydration's up there. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, so you actually said during the race, 30 carbs, eight, 12, 16, 20, 24. And then you give me examples of what, so you said banana, goo, Gatorade, quarter cup dried fruit and Cheerios. Yeah. And I took that and I went and looked at a protein bar and it said it had 30 grams of carbohydrates on it. So I took those <laughs> Yeah. thinking like I can carry protein bars very easily, mm -hmm. but to your point, they probably were not doing me much good. And that's why I started sucking down the oranges and the gummy and yeah. bears. And like started feeling like crap. Yeah. yeah. And that's the, the protein sits in the stomach and digests in the stomach. Yeah. Well, it requires stomach acid. And when your adrenaline's pumping and your heart rate's high, your body does not produce stomach acid. It's a very good defense mechanism. The way to think about it is 10,000 years ago, if you were being chased by a lion in the plains, right? right? Like the last thing you would need is for your body to decide to start to digest something. And then you have dumping syndrome while getting chased by a lion, right? <laughs> Our species would not have survived had this been a reality. So we inhibit yeah. digestion, but sugar does not digest in the stomach. It breaks down on the tongue. It breaks yeah. down as you go through the entire digestive tract. So it's in and out quick. Um, so that protein kind of slowed that process down yeah. where a gummy bear is is just pure sugar. The goos yeah. are pure sugar. So the 30 grams of carbs was correct, but we want it to be just 30 <laughs> grams of carbs. Um, it's worth noting that Power Bar, that brand yeah. of, um, I forget who they're owned by now. They might just still be Power Bar, but Power Bar is a, it's an energy type bar and it has 23 to 30 grams of carbs, depending on which flavor. Okay. That's an example of it, a convenient bar you can grab that works yeah. and it serves its purpose. Okay. So let's switch gears to hydration because 
to me, it was always, if you're thirsty, then you're dehydrated and I need to get some water or whatever. But through my whole experience of running now up until the marathon and running through a marathon. And then I think I told you I had a 10.4 mile race the next week. Right. And I actually, during that race, I felt like I was recovered and mentally I thought it's a lot less mileage. So mentally I'm good. I'll fly. I had already done that trail before. So I kind of felt like I knew the terrain and I take off. I'm in like the top five for the first five minutes. <laughs> and then within the next 10 minutes, I'm in like 50th, 60th place. By mile seven, I'm on a hill and I, I'm literally ready to cry in the woods. I don't think I can finish the race. <laughs> and, and the only thing that really got me through was at mile five, I didn't carry any kind of hydration. And at mile five, they gave you some of the, the hydration waters with the, I guess they're like Gatorade of some sort. Yeah, the electrolyte pack. Right, yeah. And then just some water and I took a couple of minutes and I sat there and just chugged water, which got me through the next couple of miles. And then in mile seven, I broke down again. But afterwards, I've literally like had a hard, I've had a hard time recovering, like getting back to being able to run anywhere near what I was running up until that point. And I started paying a lot more attention to how much I'm actually drinking. So in order to quench my thirst, I'm, you know, it doesn't take that much, but I feel like I need to be drinking so much more, especially exercising like this. So for me, I'm trying to have someone dummy down a little bit. What does hydration actually mean? How important is it to an everyday person? How important is it to someone that's actually like trying to get into fitness and working out? And what should, what should people be thinking about? I always heard eight cups a day or something like that, but I don't know if that's accurate. (laughs) No, this is perfect. So to address the eight cups right off the bat, that is actually the Institute of Medicine's uh, guidance for a sedentary five foot tall female. Okay. And so, so that's not you are not me. sedentary, you are not five <laughs> feet tall, and you are not female, uh, which means you need an immense amount more than that. Yeah. And so we'll get back to that piece. But it's worth, let's backtrack for a second and talk actual hydration, because hydration is a phrase that most people don't understand. Right. Hydration is the lack of, or or I should say dehydration is the lack of fluid or water and electrolytes, sodium, potassium, chloride in particular, some of the others can play a role. And so that's where to be dehydrated is not always to be lacking water, but is sometimes to be lacking that sodium or potassium, the electrolytes. The reason for that is our bodies are like right around 60% water. So as I mean, so think about how much you weigh, multiply that by 60%. That's how many pounds of water is in your body right now. Right. And that is the maintaining the integrity of a lot of your cells. It is almost 50% of your blood is water. And so when you're dehydrated, that means your blood has less volume and your blood is thicker, which means it's harder to pump. Right. And that makes it harder for you to get energy delivered to necessary muscles. When you're dehydrated, your muscle cells contain less water and water is necessary for them to actually contract and and flex and pulse. And so dehydration really inhibits physical and mental ability in a big, big way. Um, And so with running and with exercise, there's a ton of need because when you sweat, you lose fluid and you also lose a lot of salt. And so one of the, that's why a lot of sports beverages, you'll look, they have way more sodium than they do potassium. That's because you don't sweat out a lot of potassium. You sweat out mostly salt when you run or when you bike or, you know, do any other sort of sweat inducing type activity. Um, So at base hydration 
is necessary for us because we are mostly water and every day we lose water, right? When we use the restroom, we lose water because our body's diluting all sorts of toxins and metabolites and excreting them for us. Uh, when we breathe in and out, our lungs are lubricated with fluid and it gets used throughout the day. And when it's hot out, it gets even worse. And so we lose water daily, even without sweating and exercising. And so we need to replace that water to make sure that our body is in a state that muscles can function, organs can function, tissues can function. Um, sodium and potassium, if anybody's ever heard of the sodium potassium pump, if you think back to like eighth grade maybe, like basic chemistry type stuff, right. um, you know, that is really sodium and potassium are the things that allow water to go in and out of the cell. There would allow for passive diffusion, so water to actually hydrate a cell or leave a cell to go do other things within the body. And so you need the electrolytes so that the water can actually go places in the body as a way to think about it. Um, for the average individual, once again, that eight, eight cups a day is what I'd call a bare minimum of all minimums. Yeah. Most women would benefit from 80 to 90 ounces of water daily. So that would actually be instead of the 64, which is your eight cups, right? right. It'd be closer to that, like 10 cups would be a better, yeah. better point of reference. Uh, most men would benefit from about 100 to 110 ounces oh, a day as a man. base. That's before activity. Um, now the, um, Academy of Sports Medicine, they recommend 90 ounces of water for women and 125 ounces of water for men, which is about a gallon a day for yeah. guys. And that's, um, that once again, doesn't necessarily even consider the extra fluids you'll need on long mileage days. Yeah. So you need that 125 on a normal day. And then if you have your 20 mile run kind of thing, you're going to need extra fluid there. And what I work on with my athletes is I actually do sweat rate calculations. So I'll have them go for a couple different varied runs and varied heat and all that kind of thing and actually take a look at, okay, how much weight did you lose during that run? How much fluid did you drink? And then from there I can calculate how much sweat they lost. And then I can also calculate how much salt they lost and we can replenish those things just to keep up with their fluid. Cause you'll get a lot of endurance runners that all of a sudden the guys need 180, 190 ounces of fluid a day, which yeah. that's a lot. Right. Um, one thing that's worth noting to people, there's this tendency to chug fluids, right? Like, oh, I need to get my fluid in. And they take these big gulps. Your kidneys can really only filter about a quart of water a day. Or not a day, I apologize, misspoke. A quart of water per hour is like a filtration. And so you're really better off sipping fluid. Okay. And so one of the things I like to tell my clients is if you think of a shot glass, and if you took a shot glass of water and you did that every 10 minutes, it's not a lot of water, right? Shot glass shot glass, you would do basically eight ounces an hour. And if you did that during a normal working day, that alone is going to be a half of a gallon. Yeah. And then if you did a bottle in the morning before work and you did a bottle in the evening after work, that's already getting us to that 96 to 100 ounces before we consider coffee, tea, all the other fluids that right. add to it. So yeah. if you sip throughout the day consistently, 125 ounces for men and 90 for women really isn't that hard and you won't go to the bathroom constantly the frantic like need like oh man i drank more water and i'm yeah. like peeing all the time that's because they're chugging <laughs> not because they're sipping right that's so basically me. yeah so you chug this fluid and then your kidneys go well i can't deal with all this and then it just excretes basically yeah. is a simplified way of describing it but um so that's something to keep in mind is sipping all day is really going to be the make or yeah. break it's worth noting what you were saying earlier is by the time you're thirsty you're already dehydrated now that I've given you the context of your 60% water, all that kind of stuff, thirst kicks in on average for an individual when they reach 2% water loss. 
And so a 2% water loss on a guy that's 180 pounds is like almost four pounds of water loss, which is like you're already behind 64 ounces of fluid. And yeah. so you're not just like slightly dehydrated by then, you're immensely really dehydrated yeah. by then, yeah. which is why preventive drinking is the name of the yeah. game when it comes to athletes. Because by the time you feel thirsty, your performance, we start to notice a cognitive decline yeah. at 1% water okay, loss. Yeah. You have a physical decline well before you hit 2%. Yeah. So at 2%, you're already slower, you're already mentally and physically slower. Yeah. So preventive drinking is key. That was much better articulated than the way I asked it. <clears throat> but that's where, that's where I was <laughs> that's going what you're trying with to get it. To? That, like, I, I've always heard that when you get to the point where you're actually thirsty, then you need to drink, but that's when you're probably dehydrated. But it was that, what you just kind of emphasized there, that you're not actually dehydrated, you're extremely dehydrated at that point, yeah. and that preventative drinking is. So it probably doesn't need to even be talked about, but I'm really curious to know, like I hear, things outside of water, drinking out things outside of water are bad, <clears throat> but I'm trying to figure out like how bad. So like, <laughs> like, so someone that's drinking Coke or they can't give up their Coke or Diet Coke, or maybe it's even coffee, tea, all of the different drinks that people really love, caught like um, the lattes from Starbucks. How problematic is it for people to be drinking those kind of drinks? I, I think some of the Gatorades are probably okay because of the electrolytes they have in them and stuff but is this like a red please stop drinking soda kind of thing <laughs> or like or is it that bad or is it something that like in moderation is okay yeah i think it helps to understand the why behind it um and so when you think about and actually before i forget because i don't want to forget this gatorade is only for people that have just who are exercising or have just exercised very intensely, it is not a health beverage. So that is my public service <laughs> announcement. It has more sugar in it than normal soda does. It is uh, not a healthy drink. Yeah. It is a drink that is meant for people that are like extreme athletes. Oh, like man. I personally would not drink a Gatorade unless I had run a minimum of six miles. Oh, wow. Like if you're not exercising continuously for an intense hour plus, there's no reason for you to be <laughs> drinking 42 grams of pure sugar. Um, it's not something to sip on. Now Gatorade just did come out with Gatorade. Gatorade Zero, which has the electrolytes minus the sugar, <laughs> it tastes really good. And that could be like a fun beverage, you know, that kind of thing. But it's worth noting because a lot of people, and it, you see how it happens, right? Athletes sponsor, are sponsored by Gatorade. They advertise Gatorade. Kids growing up want to be athletes. And so they think of it as like their beverage of choice. Right. And then over time, athlete becomes misconstrued with health. But intense athletics is not necessarily like do do these things to be healthy it's like a lot of times yeah. the hydration is in, a, in response to the extreme side of it right, right, right. um so I just my five-year-old is gonna kill you by the way because yeah. she's like that's a gatorade her, that's her favorite drink yeah it is not and, and, and all the out. dentists yeah all the dentists listening right now are like thanking their thanking yeah. me i'm gonna get some like thank you emails from this i hope right. uh because yeah gatorade is not a health beverage yeah. that is not a thing it is an athletic beverage for extreme sports yeah. only. But that's even a really important point that you brought up that a lot of the things that athletes are doing are not necessarily things that you want to be doing, right? Correct. Because they're kind of putting themselves in extreme situations. Yeah. So their diet might look much different. Their recovery might look much different. Their exercises are probably looking much different, right? Correct. So you don't want to necessarily just model someone that's an extreme know, athlete. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Right. And that's where we realize, you know, the word health in my, in my mind, at least, is somewhat synonymous with, the, with longevity, right? right? It's the goal of having, like, being able to do things, having high quality of life, and also long quantity or an opportunity for long quantity of life. Right. 
being an ultra marathon or running 100 miles, right? That is not done with the idea of I'm going to live to 100, yeah. right? That is an extreme sport that is wear and tear on the body that is li more likely to make them have a shorter lifespan. Right. But they're not, that's again, they're doing it because that's something they're passionate about. And I'm happy to work with them. And I, I, I love working with athletes like that. But that is not the same conversation. Health and athleticism are not hand in hand, right? We don't look at NFL athletes as the image of physical and mental health anymore, right? They're big, strong powerful people and that's really cool but that is not in itself health yeah. um, and so yeah there's definitely this aspiration to be an athlete and perform but performance and health are not always hand in hand yeah. um, to a certain extent performance can be a part of health but extreme performance is just that it's extreme performance yeah. um, but to get back to the beverages <laughs> um, is the biggest thing when it comes to hydration, right, is the realization of like, what is that water doing? So when you have like coffee or tea or soda, one of the first considerations is the caffeine that's in them. And caffeine is a natural diuretic. So what it does is it makes you basically excrete water. Um, and so a lot of basically a way to think about it is a lot of it leads to increased urination. So you're drinking this water, but then you're also losing more water because you're urinating more. Um, now, some people don't really have increased urination from caffeine because they're so used to it. So that can become less and less of an effect. And normal amounts of caffeine, 200 milligrams a day, somewhere around there, isn't that big of a deal. That said, as you mentioned earlier, drinking 10 cups of coffee instead of 10 cups of water, the main distinction between those two is 10 cups of coffee saturates caffeine enzymes and leads to increased irritation and urination and excess water excretion. So you're not actually getting that you know, 80 ounces of water and then putting it to work. You're getting 80 ounces of water and then half of it's being peed out because of your overstimulated bladder. Right. Um, the other consideration, and this is more relevant to the soda, is what kind of garbage are you putting in your body that your kidneys are gonna have to deal with? Yeah. And the reality is that soda is high in all sorts of um, different carcinogens. So things that have cancer-causing properties, um, the caramel color, some of the phosphoric acid, some of the other things like that, that the, your body really doesn't process those well other than to dilute them with water and excrete them in the kidneys. And so you may drink a 12-ounce soda, and sure, it technically has 11.7 ounces of water in it, right? But how much of that water is actually getting to your bloodstream to help your blood be the right thickness yeah. or getting to your muscle cell to actually make your muscle cells turgor correct so that it can contract properly? Right. And the answer is not all of it. Yeah. We can't say a 12-ounce soda is the equivalent of 8 ounces of water because it varies from person to person. Overall, though, water is always king. It is always best. Um, Tea has a lot of different botanicals in it that can actually somewhat be calming and you know beneficial. And so most, most medical professionals would agree that your green teas and your white teas in particular and your herbal teas would be synonymous with yeah. water. A black tea that's high caffeine is going to be more like a coffee where I consider those to go towards the fluid. But what I usually tell my clients, for example, I told you as a guy, 125 ounces a day. I would tell you, hey, I need you to get 100 ounces of water and then the rest can be from other beverages, yeah. a diet Coke, a, a couple cups of coffee, whatever it is. And so they definitely have their place in our diet, but there's no world where we should be drinking mostly non-water beverages. Yeah. I think that's actually probably the biggest problem is that when you don't have that focus on getting so much water, you're replacing that water intake that you should be getting with all of these other beverages, right? And then you're exactly. never thirsty because you're drinking <laughs> junk all day. Okay. Exactly. All right, let's move on. I want to give you kind of a scenario to walk through uh, just for some of the listeners that are out there that might be 
trying to get into fitness, trying to figure out what they should or should not be eating. I'm in this boat. My sister, she was actually trying to get into fitness. The health is always the big side of this. It's really hard. It's one thing to get yourself to go to the gym and get on a treadmill. It's another thing when you come to the realization that all the hard work you're putting in on the treadmill probably is not really manifesting the way that it should unless you're actually eating well, right? And eating the right stuff. And this is really... For me personally, this is a huge problem. Katie, actually, my girlfriend, she's really good. She understands the right foods to be eating and how to be cooking them. But just with time, mm-hmm. it's not like a luxury we have to always be eating these organic, you know, non-processed meals. And always on the go, it's tough to find food that is actually nutritious. So I'm trying to figure out what are the things that people should be thinking about that are easy enough for them to kind of start building into their diet and they don't have to change it overnight, but just some simple things that they can be thinking about that'll help really supplement what they're doing in the gym and not working against them. If that makes sense. makes perfect sense. And to your point, you know, the short term motivation and effort it takes to go to the gym, um, is much, much easier than the consistency required to eat well. And yeah. that's really the distinction between the two, right? <laughs> Going to the gym is a singular item. It's a checked, it's a checked box daily, right? right? Where it's, I spent X time. I participated in this where eating healthy. If the average person has three meals and a snack daily, that's four times a day, seven days a week. So we've got 28 times in a seven day span. You have to pay attention, but not only do you have to pay attention, there's that forethought, right? There's that projection of when am I going to get the groceries to make this stuff? When am I going to actually make this? If I'm not making the foods, where am I going? How am I getting there? Right? So it's not as simple as drive to location, press button on machine, beeps when done. Right. And so that's where we realize, like it is, it is an effort of consistency. And that's why there's this big movement to try and make it about a lifestyle, right. Is recognizing that if it's forced, it's going to have ebbs and flows. It's not going to work quite as well because eventually it's going to get sacrificed because it is a pretty big time commitment. If you're really trying to pay attention to your food that said, it's, you could argue one of the most imperative time commitments, right? It's one of the few things in self care that has a direct effect effect on all things, our energy, our mood, our sleep quality, our ability to exercise, our longevity, our inflammation. I mean, you name it, right? Your diet reflects in some manner, all aspects of your self care, you, the way you deal with stress at work even. Right. So, um, it's, it's definitely worth the investment. So I think that'd be my, my step one tip is recognizing the why behind eating well, instead of it being just to lose 10 pounds because the doctor said so, or just because I want to fit in the pair of jeans that I fit in last summer. And again, not to say that those are necessarily bad reasons, but they're detached reasons, right? They don't actually give you a view of what the real benefit of eating well is, but recognizing that your muscles recover faster, recognizing that you're in a better state of sleep and you don't have reflux. So you don't have to take Tums or you can stop taking your Prilosec, Um, you know, recognizing that your inflammation's down, like your wedding ring fits on your finger. Uh, you know, and right. those, th- those are all things that show us, oh, wow, the body is having a lot of benefit from eating well. So if we have that why in check, it gives you that a little boost of motivation or purpose, which right. is really step one. Um, from there, there's a lot of things we could talk about. So we won't, you know, obviously cover them all here because you and I'll be here until you know, 2 a.m. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And my wife will call a bunch of times and wonder, you know, why I'm not home. Um, but one of the, the, one of the main ones, I think, is 
what I consider the projection and reflection. And it's what I work with a lot of my clients on. Um, and the idea of a projection and reflection is really just like a daily habit. And it doesn't have to be specific to food, but I always make sure that mine includes my food. And so the projection is at the end of the day, I always look at the day ahead, the day to come and say, okay, what's my schedule look like? And then from there, I would kind of walk through my day. Okay, I'm seeing so-and-so, I've got a meeting here, I'm doing this. And then, oh, I'm working out at this time. So I'm gonna, then I kind of work back through and say, when do I need to eat to feel my best? And then I identify those. And then from there, I can say, okay, if I'm at this location and I need to eat, what am I gonna eat, right? Am I packing something and bringing it with me? Um, you know, is that a location that I have the meeting at where food is accessible? It's a, a restaurant that I know I can get a really good salad that I like or I have access to a really good option. Um, and once you fill in that blank, you've now created a path for yourself that you can subconsciously walk. So instead of going into the next day and being frazzled and just trying to spontaneously make a good decision, you've set yourself up to have opportunities to do the correct thing each time. Um, spontaneous decision-making and food never work. And it's because our culture is a very convenient grab-and-go society with ubiquitous food, right? Food is constantly available and it's not really the good stuff. Yeah. And so that's where you see a lot of people, especially in corporate America, fall into this like run and grab something. Oh, I have to stop at the gas station on my way to drop the kids to school before I go to work. Right. So I'm gonna grab whatever in there. And the, you know, you walk in and the first thing you see is a breakfast sausage dog. And so you grab that because you don't have time to look and decide what protein bar to eat, right? right? And so then, you know, then go into meetings and you're busy all day. And by the time you realize it's lunch, you're so hungry and you've got a meeting in 15 minutes. So what's nearby? Well, across the street, there's a pizza place. So I grab two slices because one wouldn't be enough. And right. that spontaneity just doesn't add up it's not self-care right You're, it's not designed with you in mind by right. any means and so a projection is a chance to identify the what the when and the where which gives you a better opportunity to make a decision ahead of time which is always when we do our better thinking we are not good spontaneous instinctive thinkers we are yeah. good planners that is what separates us from all other animals is our ability to plan and reason so i, I encourage people to use that use that advantage right um the reflection side of it is a little bit easier, right? That's, that's the end of the day look back, which is the hindsight 2020, but that is the best chance as a learning opportunity. If right. you can look back and go, oh man, at lunch when I did this, I could have done that. Or yeah. you know what, I went to that gas station and I'm always by that gas station. Mm -hmm. Maybe instead of going getting that sausage dog, I should like, Google some protein bars or schedule an appointment with a dietitian and learn about some good options that yeah. I could get when I'm there so that instead of being frazzled, I can walk in with a purpose and grab my thing. And that's what I do with a lot of my clients. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that down the line. But, you know, the idea is we, I, you know, we work with people to live a day in their life and, you know, see where they have obstacles, see how they need to navigate things and then give them insert real life opportunities, low hanging fruit to make better decisions yeah. so that life is more automated, more streamlined and easier, less stressful, but then also builds and contributes to health. Um, so projections and reflections is definitely a big one. You're making me feel like shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, Absolutely every, my intentions. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, as, as a motivational speaker, I love just putting people down left and right. <laughs> Everything you were talking about, like the person that just winds up in meetings and they're like, oh, I got to go grab. And then you're like, oh, I'll just get two pizzas, you know, so I'll be. I described your Tuesday. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, damn it. 
And the thing is, for people, I, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm just like this out on my own, but I always think, oh, it's okay, I can afford this one. But then the one turns into two, yeah. then it turns into five, then it turns into like, that's how I'm eating every single day. Yeah. And it's hard to pull back from that, but it's so funny because discipline actually does equal freedom. Yeah. So, you know, Jocko Willink always says that. And it's so true, especially when it comes to stuff like this. If you have a little bit of discipline around making sure you're thinking in advance and you're buying or going and prepping the foods a little bit mm -hmm. and you build some structure around that, it actually, it frees you up so much because you're not now spending the rest of the time tomorrow trying to think about yeah. this and that and what to eat and where to eat it. And there's not too many, I, one of the things we probably should talk about is why there's not too many good places to go to get fast, like healthy food. There's not a lot of places out there that offer really healthy options and especially on the go, right? Like, yeah. you know, I know there's some places you can sit down and have an egg white only organic omelet or something. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't even know if that's good for you, but it sounds good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of buzzwords in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> egg white only. I'm like, it took me three weeks to figure out what that was. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but I don't think there's a lot of places that are designed for the people that are really health conscious and trying to make sure that they're eating properly day by day by day. And there was a documentary, I can't remember the name of it, but I started watching that and they actually cook all of their own foods. This very healthy way of living, but it was the same. It made me feel like shit. Cause I'm like, damn, like I don't, I feel like I don't know enough. So like, yeah. I guess just to come full circle here, it, are there simple things like even leading into the marathon, you're like, Hey, eat cereal the morning before. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't know, should I be eating cereal every morning? Is that okay for me to be eating? Like, uh, I have another buddy who will actually be coming on the podcast. He's on more of the exercise side, but obviously yeah. nutrition's a big thing. And he was like, you know, eat a baked potato. That's probably the best thing you can eat because it's not processed and it's whole food. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering if there's simple things like that that people should be thinking about. Or maybe it's easier to say, here's the things you should really try to avoid. You know, I don't know if it's things with heavy sugar or fast food probably should just be avoided no matter what, but I'm trying to figure out like how to give people that are listening some sort of start down the road yeah. to stimulate their mind around healthier eating. Because I think if you try to learn it all at once, it's extremely hard. I mean, we walk through like your 10 certifications on yeah. and how long it took you to kind of build this knowledge base. That's my problem, right? I, I, mm -hmm. I hear macros, I hear micros, I hear all of these words. I don't know what any of them means. I don't exactly. know what a complex carb is versus a simple carb. I don't know which one I need when. So it gets very complicated, but I think if people start, and even myself, if I start to take enough of an interest just by going down the path, yeah. then maybe you know that'll that'll help me so i don't know if there's simple answers i know that this is what you do for a living and people actually come and talk to you for like hours on end about this <laughs> stuff so it's probably something that's hard to answer and very generally like because you don't even you know you have to understand the people you're talking to um but is there is there a simple answer i mean all? there's definitely you know like you said without the without full-on context of specific yeah. individual there's always going to be you know there's going to be a level of like template or vagueness to it but there's absolutely some quick tips that we can talk through and the one thing i want to make sure i double back to um, before i forget is the what i was saying about the projection reflection what you said afterwards which i thought was really good is this realization that you know, when I sit down at the end of the night and kind of wind down and I pull up my phone and I look at my schedule and I identify who I'm seeing and, you know, get my mind prepped for the day and then I identify when I'm working out and kind of work my way through when I'm going to eat 
And then from there I pack my lunch, right? That entire process takes no more than 10 minutes. And yeah. that includes packing my lunch, yeah. right? And the recognition is you're doing that 10 minute habit in place of the next morning scrambling for something random in the morning, yeah. scrambling for a snack, scrambling for a lunch, trying to figure out a dinner for you and a significant other or kids on the way to a soccer game, right? You go from 10 minutes is the ability to set yourself up to have a plan that removes the stress from literally hours of your day. Right. And so in the spirit of trying to set you up to feel better about your choices and setting you up to make better choices, that that projection really is valuable. Yeah. And um, it's impressive. Like, yeah, I got a text message from yesterday. You booked me over a month ago. Yep. And I got a text message from yesterday that says, hey, I have you 7 p.m. tomorrow. Are you still good? Yep. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this guy's on the ball. Well, and I, it's, I sent that to you and I sent my appointment reminders. And yeah. it's funny because I get a lot of people that, especially with how um, many patients I see. Right. Um, and within my practice, I mean, we have systems that allow automated appointment reminders and that kind of thing. I actually personally send all of my appointment reminders the day before. And it's because, one, I use that actually to keep track of who I'm seeing. I hate the biomedical model. And we'll talk more about that down the road, why I became a dietitian instead of a, a doctor, right? But the idea is that like I do not like the biomedical model of care in that it's so impersonal, right? Doctors are too often walking into a patient's room, like the waiting room, um, reading the chart as they walk in and about to spend five minutes with them. It's yeah. so impersonal and detached. I really know my patients. And so as a result, I like to see who I'm seeing. Is there something I need to have prepped for them ahead of time? Yeah. Is there a mindset or a strategy I need to be employing? And so I use that projection as a way to center myself so that I'm a more effective person. But um, That's back, awesome, by the well, way. Thank you. I give you I a lot of credit that. for that. And <laughs> my doctor didn't do that. Well, actually, now that you say it, every single time someone comes in to see me, it's like they're looking at who I am as they're yeah. looking at me for yep. the first time. They shake your hand. They don't say your name. And it's yeah. because they have 86 people scheduled that day. Right. And yeah. there's no way they're going to remember people's names. And that's yeah. I, I didn't I chose to become a preventive lifestyle practitioner because I wanted to be able to intervene in people and help help people basically change their lives. Yeah. It's not that I have any disrespect for doctors. I have an immense respect for what they do. They're a big need. But there's the model of care that we have in our society right now does not work correctly. And yeah. so I decided to try and build a separate model of care or follow a separate model of care would be a better way to say yeah. that. Um, but going That's back awesome. to the, I feel uh, like you care about me and I'm not even your patient. I, I, <laughs> Seriously, I do. Like... It's, it's the eyes. That's it, no one can, <laughs> that you, you guys listening, you can't see it, but it's, I've been told it's the eyes. I have caring eyes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just like going out of your way to say like, here, eat this before you go into the marathon. And then like, because I wasn't even really soliciting advice. I just, I, I probably came off to you as someone that was in dire need. <laughs> yeah. You sounded a little, you came off as desperate. I'm not going to lie. And you know, it's, and I, I had a, I had a quick chapter that I could send to you yeah. and uh, you yeah. seemed like a nice guy. So, yeah. you know, it is, it is what it is. But yeah, so going back to the quick food things, um, I think the number one, like what I'll call like practical lifestyle tip that I would give is the revelation of meat prep. So not meal prep, but meat prep. And the concept behind that, it's something that my wife do on a week, my wife and I do on a weekly basis, um, is that meat prep is the observation that pretty much any dish you make at home, right? A soup, a salad, a stir fry, a casserole, um, a sandwich, I mean, you name it, right? Any dish you would make, the meat is the part that takes the longest to cook. 
It's the part that takes 40 minutes in the oven or 25 minutes in the grill or whatever it is. It is the time suck. And as a result, it's the thing that tends to set you up at 5.30 p.m. after a mentally draining day to go, do I really wanna go home, wait an hour, and during that hour be working on this just to have food, or do I want food now? Which our society goes, there's 67 restaurants on your way home yeah, that can right. give you food now <laughs> at this low, low price with these large, large portions. Um, what meat prep does, it's the idea of on one or two days a week, right? Um, so like Sunday, Wednesday, we'll just have to say it as an example, pick two types of protein, fish and chicken, or ground turkey and beef, whatever you want to do, right? Uh, it could even be vegetarian sources as well, right? So, you know, um, sauteed tofu, whatever it is. Um, pick two meat sources or protein sources and prepare them as is. So grill them, bake them, saute them, whatever it is, and slice them up and have them ready to go so that when you get home, all you have to do is add them to something. Yeah. And what's cool is, let's just use chicken as an example because it's, you know, the it is America's meat apparently. <laughs> um, followed closely by the hot dog, apparently, is what I've been informed. Um, but <clears throat> So we'll use chicken. Grill up a bunch of chicken breast, slice it up, and on Monday night, you decide you want tacos. And so you have tacos, pull out some plain Greek yogurt and yeah. some salsa and you know little tortillas. Boom, chicken tacos ready to go. The next day, you decide you want to have something unique. So you drop the chicken in some buffalo sauce, heat it up while you bake or microwave you know, a couple sweet potatoes, slice the sweet potato open, put the buffalo chicken in it, dollop of Greek yogurt on top, you've got buffalo stuffed sweet potatoes, right? Yeah. Um, the next day, you take that same chicken, toss it in a pan with a bunch of veggies, some broccoli, some little baby corn, some snap peas, and some soy sauce, and you saute, and you have an Asian stir fry with a 90-second rice, yeah. and you're good to go. Um, you know, The following day, you take that same chicken, some of that rice that you have left over from the day before, pour some cream of chicken soup over top of it, put broccoli in it, bake it for 10 minutes with cheese on top, you have a broccoli chicken casserole. Every single meal is 10 minutes away once you have the chicken cooked, right? And it's, I make it sound maybe easy or ridiculous, I don't know which, but that's an easy example of how you can take the complication out of it. Yeah. And what's funny is I just made you eat chicken four times, yeah. but you wouldn't notice because it tastes different every day. I'm starting to wonder if you're a master chef. Like, <laughs> like, like, well, when you first started talking through this, and I, I'm like, he's going somewhere that's going to make me say like holy shit why didn't i think of that brain explosion yeah right? and then and then so you got to the like cook in bulk basically yeah and then you just rattled off like eight dishes that sounded like delicious <laughs> delicious right? and that's the point and i'm like damn it every single one of those takes an hour if you don't have the meat cooked right but if the meat's cooked it's 10 minutes away and so yeah. if you have some fish and some chicken or some ground turkey and some beef or whatever it is you can mix and match those and i think right. where people go wrong is the idea of health becomes this like meal prep, which is let's make a bunch of food on a Sunday, put it in these like very sad Tupperware containers. And then on Thursday, I'm going to open this Tupperware container I sealed 160 hours ago, and I'm going to hate my life. And that, I, like, that is nowhere close to health, right? Like that is, I, I, that's appalling to me. I feel bad for people that live out of Tupperware constantly. Yeah. But what we do is my wife and I make a couple different meats, and then we make a couple different sides, and then we'll make a couple different veggies, and we can mix and match very easily throughout the week. And it's funny because 
chicken and beef in particular, they last seven days in the fridge, no problem. And so you can use them throughout the week. And for people that don't like that idea, then grill up something or you know bake something on Sundays and Wednesdays and just have three days worth, whatever it is. But if you have the protein present, it's so much easier to throw these different sides in there. And there are now microwavable sweet potatoes that are ready in like five minutes. There are 90 second brown rice bags that don't have all the seasonings and salts. They're just plain brown rice that's been basically pre-boiled so it's softer so it cooks faster. There are side dishes like that and then you have your frozen veggies like your steam fresh, bird's eye steam fresh vegetable bags, right? Those things are a couple minutes away in the microwave. They don't have added salt. And so you can take those as wholesome ingredients, right? You have a chicken breast with a steam fresh bag of broccoli and rice. And where people then go wrong is they think, oh, it's healthy, which means I put all this on a plate and eat it plain. And health doesn't have to be boring, right? Very good quality meals can have flavor and they should have flavor because yeah. health has a, like a psychological and a behavioral and a social aspect. There should be enjoyments to it. And so we can afford to add a hot sauce or add some sort of you know lower sodium cream of chicken soup or a lower fat cream of chicken soup or add some soy sauce, add some sort of seasoning that makes the dish unique in its own way. Right. And you can do that fairly quickly. And so it's um, meat prep is probably the lifesaver in our household, we use that. Um, and you know, my wife likes to prep a couple different sides throughout the week. So we tend on Sunday, we'll cook a bunch of meat together, protein together while we make the initial dishes and while we make dinner. And then as the week goes on, um, I tend to work later in the evenings. And so she kind of steps up and I'm very thankful for that midweek and she'll supplement the veggies so that we have a little bit of variety. Um, but overall it's a huge time savings. Yeah. And so that becomes yeah. a big win. And so meat prep is like number one. That is the thing that I always encourage people. And then from there, I like to discuss the idea of health as really just an awareness. That's yeah. what health is, right? It's an attempt to choose the best option. I remember I had a client one time that said to me, I'm not, he's like, I'm not really like a hundred percent. He's like, but I'm, but I'm on board. And he goes, you know, like if I'm at a meeting and there's pizza and there's cheese or pepperoni, I'm picking cheese. <laughs> right. And like, I laugh so hard and like, I love that as an anecdote, but like, there's definitely some truth to that. Right. It's like, yeah. there's still an awareness there where he could have very easily just said, screw it, whatever <laughs> it's food. Right. But he still chose and said, you know what? Pepperoni's not that great for me. I'll just pick this slice of this other pizza. Um, you know, it's, it's the other one that I, I always enjoy is people always criticize the person that gets a diet soda at McDonald's, right? It's like, can I get a Big Mac with an extra large fry and a diet Coke? And people were like, why would you do the diet Coke? And it's because we have a very pass fail relationship with health yeah. and health is not a pass fail item. If I eat a Big Mac and fries and a, and a soda one day at a lunch, and then for the rest of the month, I ate very good quality, minimally processed food. I'm still a very healthy person. My risk of heart disease is not substantially elevated, right? Yeah. It's a spectrum. It's a day-to-day -day choice of how many good quality choices can we make. Um, and so I always tell, I like to tell people, say that person's going to McDonald's and getting the soda with the burger and the fries and say they're gaining a pound a week on the scale. So if they switch from regular soda to diet soda, those big, large diet or regular sodas at, at uh, at McDonald's, they have like 480 calories. So now they're no longer gaining weight. They went from gaining a pound a week to maintaining. And then all of a sudden, if that extra large fry became a medium fry, now they're losing weight. So they're still going to McDonald's, but they shifted their caloric surplus to a caloric deficit. Yeah. And so it's worth recognizing that it is a failure as us as a group to look at health so, you know, 
so juxtaposed. Like it's either this or this, there's nothing in between. No, health is a series of choices. Um, I actually have a mobile app within my company that I developed, it's called Rate My Day. Yeah. And it's exactly this concept, right? It's at the end of the day, it buzzes and says, define the health of your day. And it gives you the options of green, yellow, or red. And the entire point of it is a green day is a day where you feel like you really made good quality choices all day. And I work with different people on identifying what their priority choices are. Um, a yellow day is a day where it's mostly good choices, but maybe there was something that you either settled for or there was something enjoyed, right? So like a treat of some kind. And then a red day is a day where there were multiple treats or there was like absolutely just like the mind was not there. Yeah. A lot of times I call them special occasion days where there was like a wedding and you had a blast. And the goal is not to have 30 green days in a month. Right. The goal is to have five green days a week. It's to make sure that health is the majority of the picture. Yeah. Um, and so going back to sort of this realization that like meat prep is what I call plan A. And so I try and help people realize that health is a spectrum and to help them understand that I use plan A, plan B, and plan C, and plan yeah. D, right? And the idea of plan A is sort of that pie in the sky that everyone w works towards and everyone thinks or agrees would be health, right? It's the good quality fruits and vegetables and you know whole grains and proteins made at home, controlled by you, all that good stuff. And yeah, that is ideal from a cost perspective, from a control perspective, from a, I mean, from a food waste perspective. There's a lot of reasons why that's a great idea. That said, health doesn't have to only exist there. And so we don't have to live in this world where you either eat chicken and broccoli at home or you eat a double quarter pounder and a filet fish yeah. There's a lot of middle ground in between. And so I then talk to people about plan B which is okay for a lot of people, plan B might be a couple frozen options. Um, so, you know, there's some frozen meals out there that are lower in sodium and higher in protein. Like Stouffer's has, they're called the Fit Kitchen Bowls. They're pretty decent. Uh, Healthy Choice has a line called uh, Simply. That's just literally like protein and veggies. Um, Lean Cuisine has come out with a marketplace line looks like a chalkboard on the front. Um, and then there's one that's it's actually owned by Smart Ones, but it's not Smart Ones. It's called uh, Smart Made. And each one of their meals are like 20 grams of protein and like good fiber and lower in sodium. So those are an example of like, they're not what you want to be doing every day, but they're definitely a good alternative. Right. Um, bird's eye, that veggie, uh, they have a, you know, the veggie group, they have a veggie made pasta and it's a bag of noodles that are made from the lentils and zucchini and the bag, you microwave it for five minutes and it has 25 grams of protein in it and 400 calories. It's a meal. It's yeah. done. It's ready to go. Right. Um, I'll talk with people about well, you know what restaurants they go to. There's a restaurant across from the uh, the gym that I own, and um, it's called Pugliano's. I'll give them a shout out. Why not, right? And um, they have a salad there. It's a blackened salmon salad, and it's a nice hearty six seven ounce piece of salmon. And it has the salad has some cheese and cranberries and some walnuts on it, and then mixed greens and onions and tomatoes. And the salmon has you know obviously a lot of natural oils in it. And the flavors from the cheese and the berries and the oils from the salmon, I stir that salad up. I don't even put a dressing on it. Yeah. I eat it and I walk away from that feeling fantastic. That's a good example of a plan B item. So on a Friday night when Allison and I, you know, fridge is empty and we're tired and we're not in the mood to cook. So, you know, our meat prep has worn out, so to speak. That's an easy thing that we can grab, that we can enjoy, feel good about. And so when I talk about plan B with people, I often offer the consideration that restaurants have kind of two purposes. The first one is convenience, right? We eat at a restaurant because it's convenient. The second one is entertainment. Yeah. We eat at restaurants to be entertained. And it's important to know why you're walking into a restaurant before you go in. And so that salad is an example of a convenience selection. Right. I'm getting that salad because mm -hmm. I am too lazy to 
make my own food. And so I'm not substituting food quality. I'm simply eating something that would be very similar to what I would make. Right. Then Allison and I will have a night, you know, a date night where we'll say, hey, let's go try this restaurant. And we go to a new place and we test out their menu and we order some apps and try some different foods and we participate in the entertainment. It's too common for people to decide that convenience and entertainment should go hand in hand. So they walk into a restaurant out of convenience and then they let the marketing of that restaurant draw their eyes to the crazy foods, the big portions, the things that make you want that, you know, that the restaurant wants you to see so that you come back. And so plan B a lot of the times is meant to be, where can you get a meal that looks like something you would get at home? It's not going to be exactly the same, but it's the same concept, a good quality protein source, adequate vegetables, a portioned grain or starch of real variety. Um, you know, and then, and as an ideal thing, it's not loaded with a bunch of fats. There's not you know, you, I always say, I call it the Cobb salad conundrum, right? You walk, it's a, it's a salad, but a Cobb salad has avocado, which yes, it's good for you, but it's a fat source. Nuts, also fat source. Cheese, also fat source. Egg, also fat source. And then it has a dressing. And so you can look at that and go, okay, not one of those things is bad, but as a cumulative item, that salad is going to have well over a thousand calories, right? And so we realize like that's, that's the example of if we can find items that have a little bit better of a, uh, some singularity to them. Yeah. I'm going to stop you before you really make me feel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. You brought up the gym. I want to switch to the business side, but before we go there, I want to quickly wrap up on diets. We touched on keto a little bit Yeah. and I, keto is becoming popular. It's becoming this popular word i don't know if people fully understand what nine out of ten have no idea what they're talking about so can you just walk us through what does what is the ketogenic diet what is the state of ketosis what is the keto flu that they call it like what does all that mean and what is actually happening to the brain when you're going through that Okay. Pens and pencils ready, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) But no, yeah, it's, I, 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 like you said, keto is getting very popular. Um, as, as sort of a, you know, a preface to it, it's been around for a very long time. It's not a new diet. It is new to what I'd call cereal dieters, right? People, fad dieters, people ready for, you know, the next big thing. Um, and it is a diet in that it is very effective in certain populations and most diets are, and that's kind of one of the biggest things is pretty much every diet that exists has a niche population that should consider using it. And I will note, I prescribe the ketogenic diet to certain populations. Um, the ketogenic diet has the most potential benefit um, in population one, which is what I'd call the hormonally complicated. So those are people that have three hormones in particular, insulin, leptin, and adiponectin that are out of range, basically. High fasted insulin, which means their body's putting insulin in the blood when food is not present. High fasted leptin, which is the same thing. And then low adiponectin. And I'm not gonna get into those details, but those three hormones regulate your metabolism. and the ketogenic diet combined with intermittent fasting is actually meant to fix that. The reason I give you that, at least that preface, is because that is why the ketogenic diet started to get popular, is a bunch of people that hormonally could not lose weight, right? So they had hormonal barriers to weight loss, went on the ketogenic diet, had success, and because they're the people in everyone's group of friends that could never lose weight, if it works for them, then it's gotta work for me. And that is the the flawed perspective, right? Right there. So what the ketogenic diet is, is it is basically um, the use of the body's third energy source. And what I mean by that is I said earlier that the brain uses sugar. The brain runs on sugar, that is its fuel source, and it is very adamant that that is its fuel source. 
So if you go on the Atkins diet or you go on a low carb diet that is not the ketogenic diet, most of those diets are really high in protein. So the carbs get cut out, the protein rises, and then the body goes, okay, fine, I'll use sugar still. And it takes protein and it actually converts it into sugar to be used by the brain again. So the brain goes, still want sugar, give me sugar, protein is now sugar. Um, and then that is why a lot of those diets, those lower carb but not high fat diets, cause your metabolism to crash. Protein is not meant to be used as an energy source. It is a building block. It is meant for hormone production, muscle creation, tissue creation. And so the moment your body starts using protein for energy, it basically waves a big flag that says, whoa, 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 we're starving, slow down metabolism. And your metabolic rate crashes. It can go down up to 50% of what your normal metabolic rate is. And people all of a sudden start gaining weight on 1,000 calorie diets. Um, so we realize ketogenic is not a high protein diet, right? So what ketogenic is, is you cut the carbs so your brain can't use carbs. You cut the protein, not to say that it's no protein, but it's a moderate to low protein. It's only enough protein to maintain tissues. And then you raise the fat extremely high so that the fat is the only real energy source available. And after a couple days of that being the case, your brain will go, fine, I'll use that. And it turns fats, breaks them down, and byproduct of those fats are ketones and ketones can go into the brain and basically be used like sugar. And so the ketogenic diet is the process of basically strategically eliminating almost everything so that your body can run on fat. Um, like I said, there are people that would have hormonal issues that make that very desirable and actually necessary. Um, for most of us though, it is what I'd consider an unnecessary next step. Um, as a side note, before I kind of dig into that, is the keto flu is basically a passing of the baton. So as your body, its glycogen stores or its carb stores are starting to drop, right? They're getting lower and lower and lower. Your brain is starting to run out of energy. So you start to get fatigued, moody, headachy, nauseous, flu-like symptoms. Um, and that's because just like in running, when I, you know, if you run out of carbs, you hit the wall, you don't actually start making ketones until you are out of carbohydrates. And so there's a point at which your body has no more carbs and it goes, okay, fine, we'll make ketones. We'll rev up that ketogenic process. It takes a couple days. And so during that passing of the baton where we'd say sort of the last two days before you run out of carbs to the first two days of you making ketones, you are going to feel like absolute garbage because your brain does not have any fuel. Um, what I use with my ketogenic eaters is exogenous ketones, which is basically like a ketone drink that gives them ketones from an, you know, from an exogenous source. And that allows them to basically pass the baton a little more readily. And can sort of meaning external. Correct. So yeah. instead of man-made or made by self, they are made in a lab and then they are drinkable in the flavor of Maui punch or pink lemonade, right? right. Um, and so I will give them the, one of those ketone drinks to basically help them bridge the gap as they get lower carb. They already have some ketones in their body ready to be used so they don't get that initial crash. And so you can actually somewhat minimize or avoid the keto flu by supplementing exogenous ketones. Okay. Um, but so that is in a nutshell what ketogenic eating is. It is basically training your body through process of elimination, essentially, to use fat. And where that becomes valuable is, like I said, in certain hormonal populations where the body is in a state that it will not use fat. And so you have people that have really stubborn weight loss. That is the one in a hundred person, right? And I, I will note that in my office, it's a lot more than one in a hundred because I deal with the hormonally complicated. So it's a lot of my clients, but out of a hundred people, you're going to have one that actually is that hormonally um, set essentially. 
The other populations uh, would be the diabetic populations, people that are naturally insulin resistant. Um, not to dig into too many details there, but you know, one pathway is to give them insulin because they don't have it. Another pathway is to skip the need for insulin, which is, hey, let's not eat carbs, let's eat fats. Now you don't even need insulin in the first place. Booyah, right? Um, and so there's interest there in reducing need for medication and also you know, potential um, other benefits associated with that. Then the other population is the extreme athletes. And the idea is, you know, going back to our marathon, we talked about all those carbs I was feeding you, right? Carbs at dinner the night before, carbs that the evening snack the night before, carbs the morning of, carbs every 30 minutes during your run. Well, if you're in a ketogenic state, remember how I said a little bit ago that the average person has 700 miles worth of fat stores? Guess what? Those 700 miles worth of fat stores is in you and ready to be accessed. And so when you're in a full state of ketosis, you are able to run for extended periods without fueling. Now that said, that does not discount your ability or need to hydrate and also get electrolytes, right? So right. fluid and electrolytes become extremely paramount because you're not getting it through food at all. Um, so the runners that are ultra athletes that tend to go keto, they tend to need to drink more, use more sodium, use more magnesium, use a little bit more potassium, those types of things to help that part, which I help my, my you know athletes that choose to do that, yeah. do that properly. Um, but there's not a need, like you could run an entire marathon without eating anything. Yeah. And so when you have someone running a 100 mile race and they don't wanna have to eat 20 grams of sugar every three, 30 minutes for 17 hours, yeah. that's it's kind of a great idea, right? Um, and I've had clients, you know, I have triathletes that are in their 60s that are pre-diabetic, right? So they're 8% body fat, they exercise 25 hours a week, and they're diabetic or almost diabetic. And it goes back to, okay, typically diabetes is thought to be a result of excess body composition or sedentary behavior, right? So it's, oh, you're diabetic, eat less, lose weight, move more. Well, when you have a 140 pound male that's 8% body fat that exercises 25 hours a week, yeah. that, that doesn't really help them, right? The reason they're, di they're becoming diabetic is because they've had so much refined sugar in their lifetime that their pancreas is starting to get tired. And so that's where the ketogenic diet can allow for a break there. The downside is the ketogenic diet is a high fat diet. <clears throat> so the pancreas can still get tired in, in making lipase instead of insulin. Um, the gallbladder can get tired secreting various things. Your entire lymphatic system, which is your fat-based system, can still struggle. So the ketogenic diet does have its concerns in terms of longevity, right? We've gotten to witness that if you have a diabetic you know, if you have someone that eats refined sugar and carbs for 60 years, they're likely to become diabetic. We don't have the data that says what happens if a person eats horrendous amounts of fat for 60 years, yeah, right. but chances are it's going to be other issues of a different variety right. would be the general thought. All right, cool. So let's switch to the, the business side a little bit because I want to make sure that we talk about that. Absolutely. I'm fascinated. That's the piece that I'm really fascinated about. I have <laughs> some background in this area. So... Let's start with where are we at now? So can you give us a little bit of a background of this place? I think this was the first. Yeah. Okay. So give us a backdrop of what is this? What do you do here? Who are the type of people that you're seeing? And then you mentioned the gym. If you can kind of go into the gym and some of the other areas that you've built up. Perfect. Talk to us about your empire. <laughs> hey, shameless business pitch. Here it comes. Yeah. Um, so I can paint the picture. So we are currently. Hey, everyone. Chat again. We are cutting it off there for part one. I hope that you enjoyed and like me, continue to reference this episode moving forward on your health and wellness journey. I would recommend checking out his online modules that you can find at optilifeacademy.com. And again, if you reference that you came from the Chad Shipley show, 
that helps me from a referral perspective. I'll put the link on my website, chadshipley.com, and of course, I'll post it to the Leaders on the Rise Facebook group. If you want to stay in tune with all of the exciting things going on in my world and would like to be a part of a growing community that is being built to support the up-and-coming rising stars, go to Leaders on the Rise Facebook group and request to join. That's it. Thanks.